All right. I'm going to play this clip. And uh, this, I will tie it in to my message. So play, it's from uh, Saving Private Ryan. And uh, it's one of my favorite uh, scenes in Saving Private Ryan. Miller, Charlie Company. Go on in, Captain. But if we don't offload those dual-drive Shermans by 0600, we're going to have an entire division stuck at Carrot Camp with its pants around its ankles. Will you let me know that? Have Charlie Company hold that little deal until we can get some armor up. Yes, sir. Runner! Airborne was supposed to win an open door for the rest of us. Instead, they misdropped, scattered all their sticks into the wind. What's your situation? Oh, yes, sir. Sector 4 is secure. We, uh, we took out Toad 88s here, here, and here. They'd already gotten four of our Shermans and a number of our Deuce and a Habs. These two minefields are actually one big one. We tried to make our way up through the middle of it, but it turned into a mixed high-density field, a little bit of everything. Spring mine 44, shoe mine 42s, pot mines, A200s. The little wooden bastards that the mine detectors don't pick up. This road here, they placed big mushrooms, telemine 43s, I guess for our tanks, from here right up to the edge of the village, right here. So we marked and called the engineers. Resistance? We had higher support expectations, sir. There was an understrength company with that artillery, Fairmont, 346th Infantry von Kampf Group. We ended up with 23 prisoners. We turned them over in peace from the 29th. What about our casualties? Well, the figures were 35 dead times two wounded. We just didn't want to give up those 88s. It was a tough assignment. That's why you got it. Yes, sir. John. I've got another one for you. Yes, sir. This one's straight from the top. My favorite part of that scene is when the captain, or the guy in charge, starts circling around Tom Hanks. You can tell he's looking at him, and uh, admiration, just kind of kind of in awe, because they just pulled off a, the, um, the attack on, uh, on D-Day, to go up to uh, take that beachhead. And then when he said, uh, John, it was a tough assignment. That's why we chose you. And I got another one for you. I feel like tonight, if I could be so bold, I believe the Lord is circling around this church. And believe the Lord is circling around each one of us. And he's looking at each one of us with admiration to say that... What you've been given is tough, but I got more for you. Tonight, I feel like this is more than me just coming up here. Hey, Larry's the spiritual warfare. He's the prophet in the church. So here's Ephesians 6. Let's let him teach this. There's more going on here tonight. I believe this. And the Lord's just asked me to kind of be straightforward with everybody, you know, uh, just to be straightforward and, and to speak 
what he's put in my heart and to speak this word straight out, just like it's written. And uh, I've always admired scum in the sense that never back down from Scripture, no matter how hard it is, no matter how tough it is. Well, let's say it. Let's say it like it is. And let the Word of God drop and let our lives revolve around the Word of God and around Jesus, not ask Jesus and the Word of God to revolve around our life and what we want. And this passage is one of those. It's a hard passage. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to try to uh, say, uh, you know, like uh, spruce it up and put a little sugar on it. Neither am I going to be a knucklehead either and try to make it more than it is, like more hard than it is. It's a scary passage. It's talking about spiritual warfare. It's talking about spiritual warfare. I don't think there's anybody in this church that would doubt that we're in a battle. Anybody? I don't think so. I've talked to most everybody in this room at one point or another, and we talk about battles. Sometimes feel like we're losing. But Paul in this section, uh, Paul in this section addresses this thing. And here's what he's saying. I think the essence of what Paul is saying here said, you are a soldier and you're in the army whether you like it or not. When you got saved, you became a soldier. When you got saved, you got put in the army. And it's uh, the little children's song. You're in the Lord's army, however that thing goes. Uh, I haven't sung that in a long time. But it's the tr- it's true. And And this passage addresses what we need to fight. This passage addresses in real explicit language who we're fighting. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't go, oh, well, you know, there's a devil out there and he doesn't like you. And, you know, so uh, just make sure you do some of the good things right. And, you know, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. He didn't say that. He says, you're a soldier now. Here's your, here's your weaponry. Here's who you're fighting. And here's his tactics. Now let's get after it. Suit up, baby. It's time to rumble. I think that's what Paul is saying. And uh, I, I would bet that the Ephesians believers knew that. They were the center for the goddess Diana, which was Apollos' sister, they knew what warfare was. They knew what warfare was. So Paul addresses that. And uh, some of us, you know, I, I, I know our scum culture pretty good. And I know some of us don't like the military and all that kind of stuff. But we don't have a choice in the Lord's army. He says, suit up, baby. It's on. Game on. And uh, the thing is, is that he doesn't... Uh, Ask us to do something that he doesn't give the provision for uh, to do it. So I'm fooling around with my notes here because that wind just blew them all over the place. And uh, I got all messed up here. Hold on a second. Because, you know, if you're... Pre- oh, there it is. Okay. I just had one page off. So let's put the scripture... up. Oh, so I titled the thing up there. You know, I can never come up with creative names for my stuff. I mean... You know, everybody here is an artist. They come up with some funkadelic sort of thing. And uh, Mike says, what do you want to call it? I said, well, everything you ever wanted about, know about warfare, spiritual warfare and more. So it's not going to be about everything, but it's going to be pretty close. So 
Uh, where's the scripture? So here's the scripture that we're looking at today. It's pretty short. Next week, Mike's going to talk about the armor of God. I'm going to take the first half of this and touch briefly on the armor of God. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when in the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. That's... uh, Okay, then it goes through the uh, armor. I'm going to camp on this. This is where I'm going to camp tonight. I'm going to camp on this. i got to tell you, this passage, this part here is so rich. I used to have an aunt. I'm Italian, so I have an aunt. Her name was Auntie Adeline. Her name was Adeline. We called her Auntie Adeline. Her uh, brother was really, his name was Guido. but We called him Uncle Guidi. So it was Auntie Adeline and Uncle Guido. And uh, Uncle Guidi. She used to, uh, you know, I heard all these jokes about... uh, um, fruitcake. People go, oh man, they're horrible. Throw them away. When my Annie Adeline made fruitcake, we couldn't wait to open it. First of all, it was wrapped in cheesecloth and then some other kind of stuff and then wax paper and then um, tin foil. We could not wait. Part of it was, I'm surprised us kids didn't get drunk because it was soaked in rum, but it had fresh fruit, fresh nuts. It was, I mean, it was the kind of stuff, when you eat it, your eyes roll up in the back of your head. It's just, it's too rich, you know. We would have it for breakfast with a glass of milk. That's how good it was. That's what this passage is. This passage is my Auntie Adeline's fruitcake. It's so rich and so packed. And I'm so stoked to be able to talk about this uh, because this is a lot of my experience. And I, people say I'm an expert in this field. no. I'm just a knucklehead enough to say yes to the assignment in spiritual warfare. And a lot of you guys sitting in this room have done spiritual warfare with me in this building and with other people. So, um, all right, so here we go. Let's go to the first part of uh, that verse. Finally, where he says, finally. What did I do with that? Oh, there it is. Okay, finally. Can somebody turn that fan off right above me? Because it's creating havoc and chaos up here for me. All right. I love the, I, I, this week when I was preparing for this, this first verse, verse 10, I was obsessed over this thing. I mean, I was obsessed. I could not get past this. And I got to be honest with you, with verses like this, I usually like, oh, yeah, okay, finally my brothers be strong in the Lord. And everybody always says, it's like, it's like the beginning of 1 Corinthians or Colossians. Greetings, my brother, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And faith in God is in you. It's like it's a greeting. It's like, it's a, it's a, I'm sorry to say it like this. It's a throwaway verse. And Paul's just saying something to be nice. But I got stuck on this. I'd go to bed at night. I'd dream about this verse. And I think all of the rest of this passage hinges on this. So he says, finally. Now, Paul has just done six plus chapters on, you know, they didn't have chapters back then. But in ours, it's six plus chapters on who Christ is. What has Christ done for us? Uh, The body of Christ, what does it look like? How should we have relationships I mean, the vision of Christ and all he's done, I mean, it's rich. 
Paul lays it down. He had a vision for Christ and all the stuff that goes with who Jesus is. And then he goes, finally. And I just had a sense what he was saying was, okay, it is my last point. But I left this last point. I didn't integrate this subject in the rest of it because it's got to be treated on its own. You just can't go, hey, do a good fight and I'll see you when I come back around again. No, he took a whole second when he said, finally, I have a sense what Paul was saying was, okay, I'm going to give you something now. If you don't do this, all the rest of Ephesians won't work because you were born into a war. When you were conceived, when you were that little tiny conception in your mother's uterus, you were born into war, whether you like it or not. And we all know all the battles that an embryo and a baby can go through in, a, in the uterus. We can, uh, birth defects and disease and mother's problems and all kinds of everything. When you were conceived, you were conceived in a war and you have no choice. You were conceived in a war. And then while you're growing up, you're in one, you're on one side. You're on, you're not by choice. You're just there. You're on the wrong side. Then when you get saved, you switch sides. Now you're fighting on the Lord's side and you're fighting his battle from a different perspective. And so he says, finally, there's a war and I need for you guys to suit up. And I need for you guys to fight wisely because the weapons that we fight with are not fleshly. We're not fighting, as it says in here, we're not fighting a war with flesh and blood. We fight a different kind of war. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, that the weapons we use are not fleshly, but they're powerful and they're spiritual. So Paul says, I'm going to tell you, first of all, you're in a war. Second of all, I'm going to tell you who you're fighting against. Third of all, I'm going to tell you how to suit up so you can protect yourself. And then I'm going to tell you at the end how to, how to, do, how to wrap all this stuff up. And so I, I just, I, I mean, I have to be honest with you guys. I'll be 69 years old in a couple months. I've been working with kids. Last week, it was 49 years that I met Jesus. That was a big deal to me. 46 of those 49 years have been working with young people. I got to tell you, I've literally sat with thousands upon thousands of young people in those 46 years. That's not an exaggeration. And I watch one young person after another get picked off. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see people get picked off because the enemy either wants to neutralize you or compromise you. Neutralize means take you out so you're of no effect, no relationship with Jesus. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but I'm living my life however the heck I want to. Or compromise you, which means to water down your faith. That's his goal. Neutralize or compromise you. And Paul says, finally, I'm going to tell you how this is a component that I'm going to give you to make all the rest of this work because otherwise you're going to get picked off. You're going to be neutralized or compromised or something else. But that was the uh, sort of funny way of me saying it. <laughs> There's probably other ways of saying it. So what I really obsessed over was this thing about be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I'm like, I was just, I was mesmerized by that. I really was. Uh, I was mesmerized. And what Paul is saying here is, if you're a soldier, you've got to be strong. 
If you're in the military, anybody here been in the military? Okay, so you know you got to be strong, right? There's not any part of you that can't be strong. You got to be strong mentally. You got to be strong emotionally. You got to be strong physically. You got to be strong in your relationship with your unit. If you're not, everybody gets in jeopardy because you're given a job to do and you need to be strong. So I looked up the word strong. So go to my next slide. This is a real trip. Hey, where's my guys back there? Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, this is a trip for me to keep up with slides. I'm not used to doing that. So I'm, I told Mike, you're going to have to just keep up with me. All right. So I looked up to what the word strong means. It means be empowered. That means you need power to be strong. And the Greek word for that is indunamu, and I know I didn't even pronounce it right. That's like me trying to speak Chinese. That's butcher the whole thing up. But it means be empowered and to grow in power and strength. So what that means is you don't have power, so you need to be empowered. And you notice it says, be strong. It doesn't say do strong. It doesn't say act strong. It says be strong. What God is most important, uh, what is God is most focused on for us is our state of being. Doing comes out of our state of being. Jesus always cut to the heart. Scriptures always cut to the heart. You might find verses that talk about behavior, but you'll find a lot more verses that talk about the heart and your state of being. So Paul says here, be strong. And that word in there means be empowered. Now, I think that word power has gotten a bad rap in Christianity. I really do. Now, everybody that knows me knows I come from a charismatic background. All my gifts have that charismatic, supernatural bent to it. You just have to hang around me for a while and you know it. You go back into the prayer cave, I'm praying for you. Next thing you know, I'm slipping into some, you know, you know, thing. And uh, that was not very good, but. Uh, but the whole idea of God's power has been so uh, nullified because we've all seen Christians that have made God's power about histrionics and ecstatics and behavior and rules and what you look like and uh, what, how much money you have and uh, this and that. And so what's happened is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. But the baby is the power of God. Power. It says to be strong, you need power. So, um, I have a couple of things on this thing about power. Um, power. Power is just power. The power of God is just power. Now, I, I had to stop and think about, I had to slow my, slow my roll there for a second. So here's a good here's a couple of three examples of, of the power of God without all the histrionics. So I have a friend of mine, my friend over here, Gloria. You're from Zimbabwe, right? Um, and she has been she's an intercessor. She's a war, warrior. She could pray eight stra- eight hours straight and not blink, and it all be effective and not a wasted word in it. I hang out with my friend Gloria. She's one of the most, I know, you probably blush when I say this, Gloria. She's one of the most powerful people I've ever met. She's a threat to the kingdom of darkness. 
But you know what I experience when I'm around Gloria? Is love. Kindness. Gentleness. She takes care of me and my wife. She prays for me. I send Gloria prayer requests every week. She writes me back. I'm on it, Brother Larry. She's one of the most powerful people, but you'll never see histrionics. You'll never see this, that. What you'll encounter if you pray with her is the power of God. We've experienced the power of God here at SCUM. We've had five women here who were infertile. We've prayed for them. Four of them have babies. The one, the, one of the reasons why, the main reason why the other one doesn't is because she's not married. But uh, she told me, she said, Larry, uh, I've been healed of infertility. I said, how do, you, how do you know? She said, Larry, you know, the cycle, and I have one. You know, it's like that. I'm uh, so embarrassed. I was like really, like as red as my shoes. We've had people who couldn't walk without a cane now are climbing 14ers and dancing. We've had people who had something wrong in their body, and we were down here praying on a prayer night. Steve was there. It was Tracy Johnson. And we, I just heard a, a loud pop. And something got corrected in her body. And she said from that point on, most a lot of her health stuff was fixed. We had a night, a week one time here. Well, most of you guys might not have been here, a lot of you guys. We did fasting and prayer to break the power of poverty on our finances. Whole week, it was a powerful week, a powerful week. We ended it with a worship time. Mike goes on sabbatical during that time. We get two gifts. The building was paid off. I told Mike before he left, here's how you're going to know that God answered the prayers. When the building is paid off and we are out of debt, you will know this thing has been broken. He comes back, I think it was February. They handed him the deed. He lit it up. I don't know if we're debt-free now, but we don't owe anything on the building. That was power. There was no histrionics. It was prayer, trusting God, and power came. So we need power. We need to be empowered. Then the next phrase is, uh, uh, oh, I don't have that one up there. All right. Uh, No, that's good. Be strong in the Lord. Okay. In the Lord. So I looked up what that word for in the Lord was. Because God has many names in Hebrew. And the word for the Lord, I think Paul snuck one in on us. In the Lord, the word Lord there is the word for master, the one who owns all of your rights. To be in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord, is to be connected to and under the master who owns all of your rights. I tell you what, one of the ways, Paul slipped that in before he got to the armor of God, I believe. One of the ways that we become strong in the Lord is to have a life surrendered. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Everything. All for Jesus. All unto Jesus. Anytime we hold on to our rights. Now, saying that does not mean you lose your ability to choose. God never takes away your ability to choose. Never. Because you've got to be able to say yes to Him. He never takes away your choice. But He does ask for your entitlements and for your rights. I was talking with a, a, a youth group I was in charge of for a while. 
There's a young guy, his name was Lucas. I've known him since he was a little boy. I was talking about this, only I was a little bit more forthcoming in how I was saying it. I said, to follow Jesus means you give up all your rights, all your entitlements. Your life is completely surrendered to Him. There's not one area of your life that is just for you. It all belongs to Him, and then He gives it back completely much better. After we were done, He came up to me. He was livid. He was so mad, He was crying. His face was shaking. He said, what do you mean we have no rights? I said, that's, that's what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is everything surrendered to Him. And it, and it turns out that his father was very ab- abusive. So to be here that was just like, oh, you mean i got to be abused again? So I spent a lot of time with Lucas, walking him through forgiving his father, walking him through what surrender would look like in his life. What I found out is that a life that's not surrendered to Christ, even after you get saved, a life, any part of our life that we still feel entitled to, I want to be the Lord of that area of my life. What you're doing is you're, doing, you're becoming like that whack, whack-a-mole. You're popping your head up waiting for the devil to come. That's what it's exactly like. The unsurrendered areas of our life are the places where Satan comes to pick us off. So when Paul said that, it was very, very good of Paul to put that in there like that. Uh, he's saying that the life that's surrendered to Christ is the safest place you will be. It's the safest place. When everything is on the altar, all is on the altar, you have nothing reserved for yourself. That's what the blood of Jesus, that's what the sacrifice of Christ calls for. It calls for everything to be surrendered to Him. Now, some of us would say, I don't, I've struggled with surrender for a long time. Yeah, all of us do. But the, but the thing is, is that as long as you're on the journey towards surrender, you're moving towards that area, you want the surrender. You want it to be that way. You're in a good place. Because Jesus never asks us to go, boom, boom, that's done. It's never like that. It's always a journey from where he asks, and then you dance with him around this. And then you work with him around till you get to the place to where that part is totally surrendered. I mean, I could tell you about when I was a younger man, married, married young man, had two daughters. I, mean, I had an anger problem. I, mean, I put my fist through walls. I never touched my daughters or my wife, but I touched the wall a couple of times. <laughs> and eventually the Lord got a hold of me and the Lord showed me where the anger was coming from. It wasn't that I was just a hot-headed Italian man. I had some root problems. And then, by God's grace, when my daughters were teenagers, and I'd come to my senses, I did everything I could to make it up to them. I made things right with my daughters. Because a man with a lot of anger has got a lot of other stuff going on. Finally, uh, my daughter Joanna, who uh, some of you guys know, she told me one day, she said, Dad, you're a man of honor. Not only have you made things right with us, but you did it with great honor. I'll tell you what, it was a hard road for me to travel to get that thing surrendered, but I did. And it helped me make things right with my kids. And I'm very grateful for that.
Um, and then it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power. How does that, how does that one go? In his mighty power. Some translations say it says in the power of his might. Um, that phrase, the power of his might, is really the phrase that says, so it says, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. That phrase in the Greek really means, let me give you the ability, let me give you the ability in the power to get the job done. Even in God's spirit, even in God's power, the ability to do the things that you need to do comes in his power and in his might. Otherwise, we wouldn't need Jesus. You know, I hear people say, well, God never gives you more than you can handle. I'm like, really? I don't know. I haven't found that to be the case. I'm usually in over my head all the time. And otherwise, you wouldn't need Jesus. If you, were, if you weren't given more than you could handle, why need Jesus? I just said, thank you, Jesus. I appreciate it. Or as Rocky Balboa would say, I appreciate it. You know, and then I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll get back to you later. That's what life would be like. But that's not what, he's, that's not what it's supposed to be like. This, this phrase, in his mighty power, means not only does he give you the power to do these things, but he gives you the ability to overcome when you get attacked. It's there. But I think so many of us have given up. We've been attacked so much. We haven't known what we need to do. And we haven't known how to have God's power in our life. We haven't known how to surrender. We just gave up and said, I'm going to be weak. I'm going to become a punching bag. And God says, no. At some point in time, as you wrestle with all of this, he gives you the ability to do what he's asking you to do. So then, uh, so then verse 11, put on the full armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. You notice he doesn't say, hey, uh, I don't know, what's your favorite piece of armor? Put that on at your leisure. And uh, maybe you got three or four things there, you know, maybe it, that's cool. That's good enough. Part, part, part way is good enough. He says, no, put on the full armor of God. We're in a, Mike's in a... I'm laying that on Mike's feet. He's going to talk more about that. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, here's the thing. Now, we're going to get into some heavy-duty stuff here. We're going to see how the world of darkness and the world of evil is made. We're going to take a look at our enemy. We just went into the war room and got into the intelligence community. And Paul said, let me give you a few tips on what you're battling against. So he says, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. That word schemes, what that means is we're up against a crafty, super intelligent, very inventive, innovative, super powerful world of darkness. That's why you need the armor of God. We're no match for that. Anybody ever try to go after the devil in yourself, you all know what the end result of that thing is. And I've tried it. I didn't know I was doing it, but I tried it. And not only did it do harm to me, it did harm to my family. I learned quick, didn't do that. Do that? Did I just say do that? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do that again. The schemes means the tricks and the plans and the strategies of the enemy. And, he, and, and he, in verse 11, he says, this is the target, your stand. That means, what are you standing in? 
you've taken a stand. But what are you standing in? And the stand is everything that Paul just got done saying. Those six and a half chapters. Who Christ is. What He did on the cross. What His work of the Holy Spirit is. Redemption. Uh, all that stuff. Our stand is in that. The schemes of the devil is to get you to step away from where he has you standing. That is so critical. I find so many young people that I've sat with. Uh, I don't sit with that many old people uh, my age. I don't sit with people my age that much, except Gloria. Oh, Gloria, I just gave away your age. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, I usually yeah, I hang out with young people. Uh, 40s on down. But what I find is that, is that you find like, if you can see a statue on a pedestal, they get knocked off and they get out of whack and they don't know what to do and they don't know how did that happen. Their stand is so important. God wants us to take a stand. I get, my heart is broken. I got to be honest with you. I know probably I'll get some booze in your heads with it saying this, but I am just heartbroken as I see people take stands for things that are not eternal and it's their main focus instead of their stand in Christ and who He is. And we don't teach that much. Take your stand. Stand in Jesus. Stand in the things that are real. Stand in the things that are eternal. Stand in that. And then let everything else you do, all the politics and the social justice and the missionary work and all that kind of stuff, let that come out of where you're standing. We're standing in Christ and all that He's done. The devil schemes, every one of them, is to get you knocked off of that. All right, now, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. All right, now we're going to get into it. Actually, I had fun doing this. <laughs> Say, what a, what a rasty guy. You get fun talking about spiritual warfare. No, I got fun. I had fun talking about uh, the Word of God. Now, Paul is going to tell you the sphere of influence the warfare comes from. He's going to tell you who does it and what they do. Now, I appreciate that about Paul. You know, if you are a person in sports, you know, if you're in college sports or you're a pro sports player, you watch film on the other, on the other team so you can see what their tactics are. So when they line up a certain way, you know, oh, okay, we know what they're going to run. Today, we're watching film on the other team, and we're going to see their strategies. So verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So the first one is against the rulers. All right, this is what the word rulers means. This is the Greek word. It's archis. It means beginning magistrates. In other words, they are the source and the beginning, and they, uh, uh, they uh, legislate evil. Where does all evil begin that's on this globe? It begins with the Arcus, the rulers. And it says later on, they're in heavenly places. Where are they? They're in the heavens. They're not in the third heavens where God's throne is, but they're below that. And then there's a second heavens, and then there's stuff around us. Arcus, the beginning magistrates. In other words, they are the source where all evil comes from. They have the beginning, the source, and they delegate to others. They invent evil. They invent darkness. All inventions of darkness come from that sphere. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not saying it. So when we talk about, 
oh, that group of people or that group of this and that group of that, they are really creating a lot of darkness and evil. Really, we're going to see a verse that even brings us home more. Really, the darkness and the evil, it comes from a heavenly place, from the archists, the guys that are the rulers. Then the next one is, says uh, against uh, rulers and against, uh, let's see, where am I at? Against rulers, against, uh, forgot a word there. It should be against authorities. So where it says against the rulers, then against the authorities. The word authority there is the Greek word exousia. E-X-O-U-S-I-A. That means, that Greek word means heavy weight. means heavy. It means authority. And they have been appointed with jurisdictional weight and authority. These guys are the heavy hitters. They carry out what Arcus plans, and they are the spiritual muscle. They are the guys that are under the Arcus. And these guys are the ones. It's kind of like I was watching this show uh, the other day, and, it, and this. Uh, I have to confess. I like it. Madam Secretary. <laughs> I kind of like the show. <laughs> and uh, I like the intrigue and all that kind of stuff. And uh, plus, I like T. Leone. I think she's a great actress. Um, but she was arguing with one of her uh, guys that works for her, and she said, I don't care what you say. The president makes the policy. We carry it out, Secretary of State. Arcus makes the policy and invents the stuff. Exousia is the muscle that carries it out. So uh, we're fighting not against rulers and not against authorities. We're not fighting against the heavies. And then the third one there is... The word powers, spiritual powers. That word in the Greek is cosmocraters. Yeah, that sounds like a a roller derby team. The cosmocraters, yeah. But the word is really about cosmic powers. Since they are called the rulers of this world, their sphere is the air right above us. And they take what the Arcus and the Exousia do, and they enforce it on this globe. So you get a trickle-down effect. By the time you have darkness and evil on this planet, it has trickled down from the heavens through this layer of intelligent organization. And, and then the rulers of this world are the ones above us that, uh, that make it happen. So by the time people are involved with this, they've connected with this trickle-down effect. So it says the rulers of this world, their sphere is the air just above us. These guys are in charge of taking what the Arcus and Exousia come up with, applying it, and ruling the world in what's been given them. That's why you can see in Daniel over Persia, the main dude in Daniel was the prince of Persia. He was the ruler of the world for that area. This, Paul says, this is who we're up against. And then it goes on. to uh, The next one is spiritual forces. And the Greek for, word for that is pneumaticos. This speaks of the nature of this heavenly government that's made up. It's spiritual in nature. All he's saying there is these powers, these forces, this power is spiritual in nature. But it always, always, you have to know this. The spiritual world always has a physical manifestation always has a spiritual expression. By the time there's the 
a physical expression on this globe in people. It has trickled down through these filters and got to us. And then it says, what is their schemes? Go to the uh, tactics. So it says, our battle is against world rulers of this darkness and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So as you can see, it's darkness here on this earth. In heavenly places, it's wickedness. It's evil. The evil and the wickedness are formed in the heavenly realms, translated into darkness on this globe. Now you know that Satan's original name is Lucifer. That means angel of light. uh, Lucifer is a master at making darkness look like light. The reason is so it would be tempting and attractive to us so our heart will engage it. That's why we need to be discerning on this earth. Now, I'm not saying we need to be prudes or we shouldn't be involved in any of the things that we all get involved in. I'm just saying that we should be discerning. What do we give our hearts to? What do we get involved in? We have to discern, has this trickled down from heaven and become a stronghold in the earth? A stronghold of darkness? Is there, you know, Satan can make evil look good. He did that with Adam and Eve. That's why they bit. By the way, they didn't bite on an apple. It doesn't say that. It just said a piece of fruit. It doesn't say it was a cherry or an apricot or an apple. It was a fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they ate that fruit and it... Evil now is introduced into them. That's why, that's why we have to put on the whole armor of God to protect ourselves. And be careful what we let our heart get invested in, what we buy into. Now, I'm not just talking about behaviors. I'm talking about what we believe, what we, what we set in on, what we accept, what we think about. Um, Mike, can you pull that verse, uh, Ephesians 2? Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Look at what this says. And you did, you did he make, oh, sorry. And you, he did make alive when you were dead through your trespass and sin. Everybody knows that. Before you come to Jesus, we all know we're sinners, trespassers, evildoers. But then he adds another piece. He says, on top of that, this is what else was going on. Wherein you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the heirs, of the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. So what he's saying there is, yeah, yeah, we were sinning. We're making up sin. We're inventing sin. We're enjoying sin. But you think you were making that stuff up. In reality, what Paul is saying there is when we're without Christ, we're under the influence of that trickle-down effect. We're under the influence of, of this world and the prince of the power of the heirs and the spirit that now works, we're inputted by the spiritual world. That's why a person like myself, part of my ministry, is getting with people and where they have allowed this stuff to get in, help them disconnect from that and get out. So, uh, some, uh, uh, sorry, so Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who did bewitch you before your, whose eyes Jesus Christ was openly set forth crucified? Paul is saying to the Christian, Christians in Galatia, you got duped. Somebody got game on you. Somebody ran a con on you, and you bought it. 
It's possible for Christians, believe me, 46 years of ministry, it's possible for Christians to buy into stuff that comes from darkness and we think it's good. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve in his craftiness, your mind should be corrupted by the simplicity uh, from the simplicity and the purity that is toward Christ. He's saying to the Corinthian believers, you know, they were like, they were really into wisdom. They were really into the Greek philosophy. They had all kinds of things they believed. The danger, one of the dangers we have in Denver, I'm just telling you, Denver is just like Corinth. So is Boulder. You got all kinds of stuff you can believe in. I know Christians who have been Christians for a long time. They've integrated into their faith Buddhism. You see, I can find, I can find things in Buddhism that you can find in Christianity. So we just, you know, we're doing the same thing. Hinduism, New Age, you name it. And, the, and Paul warns us here. What is darkness? Darkness is basically rooted in deception. And it's not, it's not that hard to be deceived and to be in darkness. All right. That was all the bad news. Now I'm going to give you some good news. Satan is a chump and Jesus is the Lord. How's that for a little Christianity right there? Satan is a chump and he is beat on the cross. I always wanted to say the word chump. In my family, my brothers and I call each other chumps all the time. It's an Italian thing. Yo, chump, what's up? Satan is a chump. And he's a liar and a thief. And Jesus is Lord. He beat the devil on the cross. And now Paul wants to tell us uh, about the armor of God. And I'm just going to briefly go through this. I'm going to tell you a brief story and then I am done. Talks about the, uh, the, the uh, armor. Belt of truth. Where does the belt go? Around your middle. You don't... Oh, uh, sorry. Almost made a joke. Belts usually go around your middle. (laughs) I'll refrain from the joke. Anyway, some cultures, the belt goes around the neck. So, But in this one, it's the belt around the middle. If you don't have truth in the middle of your being, God is truth. His word is truth. If you don't have that cinching up the middle where excuse me where everything comes together you're going to you're 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 a target breastplate of righteousness what's the breastplate it covers all the in, inward part of your being all the vital organs including the heart why did he call it the breastplate of righteousness we are all right with god if you've accepted christ you're saved and you can't get unsaved i'll go toe to toe with anybody who says you can lose your salvation i don't think you can find it in the bible You are right with God. But we can live a life where our internal life is not right with Him. Our motives, our our motives and our thoughts and our all the the values and the things we think about, they can get jabberwocky in there. And that's a word you probably never heard. Jabberwocky. That's a word my mom used to use. Get out of whack with God. And what protects all your internal life is being right with God, confessing your sin. And confessing the things that don't belong to him. This is the feet with the gospel of peace. Feet. Your feet in this section is for standing. Our feet in the gospel. Meaning, what is the core of the gospel? Jesus is God. 
I'm not going to catch it all. I'm not going to do the Westminster Confession here. Jesus is God. He, he, he was a man, perfect, died for your sins, paid for what you owed, unconditional of all that stuff. When we move away from the basics of the gospel as far as what we believe, we lose peace. And one of the best ways you can fight the enemy is to have peace with God and to wrestle with God till you find peace, but to stay within the parameters of what the gospel is. Shield of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, what is faith? Faith is a conviction of stuff you can't see. And it's the hope of things you're, uh, that hasn't come yet. What that means is all this stuff out here, stuff going on in your head, the enemy will throw fiery darts at you. And he says how you defeat that is you stand with your conviction of faith, God's spirit, God's word in you that brings faith. You stand in that. And that, uh, and that becomes your shield to protect yourself. Helmet of salvation. Helmet. Uh, it's for your mind. Our mind needs to be saved over and over again from all the stuff we think about. You know, sometimes I'm driving along and these thoughts fly through my head. I'm like, where did those come from? I'm sorry, Lord, that I even entertained them for five seconds. We need the helmet of salvation to continue to have our minds saved. And, of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in prayer. I mean, I could do five messages just on being in the Word and prayer. And actually how all of the armor of God is applied is through prayer and through the Word. Now, I know Lindsay Gilmore in Scotland is listening tonight, or she will after this message. Here's what I want to say to Lindsay. Way to go, Lindsay! She put out all these messages about all these trials she was going through. And she said, I'm not used to doing this. But she started asking for prayer for this serious stuff she was going through. And I said, way to go, Lindsay. You picked up part of your armor. And you asked for prayer. And all these prayers started flooding in on her. And I thought, way to go, Lindsay. She used part of her armor. And I've had several conversations with her. And I know that she subscribes to, uh, to uh, hanging on to the word. Okay, so I'm going to end now, but I'm going to end with a short story. Now, this person has already given me permission to tell the story, so I'm not telling the story about someone without asking. It's about Maggie Clark. This whole thing I preached today was Maggie's experience. When I first saw Meggie, first time I saw her, I was sitting over here. She was running around. And my first impression of Meggie, this is her heart and soul is disheveled. She is chaos. She is going 10 different directions. She is this. She is that. I mean, I'm like, oh, my gosh, my heart went out to her. At the same time, I was convicted that one day I'd have a conversation with her. And it turned out it was true. We started to have a conversation. And one day, we sat down in the purple room over here. She was telling me about this stuff she was into. She was a Ricky master. I said, you mean like a Ricky? Like Ricky Ricardo? No, I'm just kidding. I did say that. Trying to keep it light. But Ricky. And I said, what is, what is Ricky? And basically what Ricky is, is where you go inside of somebody... You take their bad stuff out. 
then you put the good of who you are into them and they get healed. Right? She was a master. She was a Christian. She was a master reiki lady. And I said, well, do you know where that came from? She goes, well, yeah, Jesus invented it. I go, no, he doesn't do stuff like that. First of all, who's the source of healing? Oh, I guess I am. So, yeah, so it can't be from Jesus. I said, it's a Japanese healing art. So I said, here's what you can do. And I said, by the way, it's very demonic, very demonic. She like looked at me like, what? So uh, I said, you go home, you research it for yourself. Call me up if you want to do something about it. Two days later, we need to talk. <laughs> I'll never forget that text. We need to talk. So Tracy Johnson and I, what up, Tracy? I know you're going to listen to this. Uh, I'm saying a shout out to all my friends out there. So, <laughs> so Tracy and uh, Maggie and I sat in that room over there. Spent three hours unplugging, disconnecting in, in the blood of Jesus, in the power of God's spirit, with the word of God. Everything that had to do with Ricky. Everything. It was marvelous. I was worn out. Tracy was a real trooper. When we were all done, I watched Maggie. She took her hands and she set them down on a table like this. I said, what are you doing? She said, the Ricky energy is gone. The portals in my hand are closed. And the Ricky energy and the Ricky spirit has gone out of me. That's when I knew we had gotten the victory for her. So since then, <clears throat> excuse me, since then, Miggy and I have spent a lot of time at Einstein's and uh, Brugger's Bagels, other places, talking about her life. She has grown tremendously. And she's had a ton of you guys that have invested in her life. So kind of the, kind of the, is it coup de gras? Is that the, uh, the, the masterpiece or whatever that is? My very first David's Tent event we did in um, January of this year. She came and uh, that's when all the guys from Scum of the Earth, man, they, they did a great job. But I can't be in charge of everything that happens. I'm up front leading it. So when we were done, it was a wonderful night. I caught Maggie in the hall. I said, Maggie, what'd you think about this? I was hoping she'd say, oh, man, it was really good. She said, oh, my gosh, you would not believe what just happened. I said, what? She said, well, I started, I mean, she was like this. I'm imitating the way she was. I mean, we, I started walking through the basement of this church we were at, and all of a sudden I saw this council of demons that had come to destroy your event. And the Lord had told us before that was going to happen. He said, but we saw it. I grabbed Gilbert and Cooper, and we ran in there, and we started to deal with it. And Cooper said, that's not my speed. I'm out of here. <laughs> but she said, it. but Gilbert and I, we dealt with it, and we did it until the thing was gone. What a transformation. I, was, I felt like a proud dad. I'm not really your dad, but I felt in that moment. Here's a girl that came from being a Reiki master a year and a half before that. Now she was running interference for me while I was doing an event in a significant way. She traveled this journey that I just talked about. So I guess I actually wanted to end my message in playing to hell with the devil by Striper. But it didn't seem like it would meld well here. Uh, 
It's my favorite all-time Christian song. I love to hell with the devil. How does Charlie Sweet is that thing is that get that high voice thing going? I guess I want to close by saying this. We need the power of God and we need to be strong. We shouldn't feign being we, we shouldn't feign being strong. We should say, I need to be strong to be a soldier, to be in the army. I need to put on all the armor of God. I don't want to be a victim to the trickle-down effect of this darkness. I actually, what I want to do is I want to be so strong and I want to be so suited up that God can send me. That's why I like the grave robbers. They go to all these clubs and they preach the gospel to these kids. Be suited up. God, use me to go after kids, after people, to help them move from the power of darkness to the power of light. I really appreciate the chance to uh, speak on a topic of this. And uh, I don't know, I don't have any way of smoothly getting out of this, so I'm done.